They've been working on that for weeks. I'm so proud of them for sticking to that. Isn't that awesome? So, all right. it's a lot of stuff up here. Okay, so as you can see from the sign up front, we're in our, a series called Graceful. We are in our fourth week of the series. The first week we talked about Grace Missing, and we played the telephone game. Do you remember playing the telephone game? Where we, we split the audience into the group into four parts, and we tried to play that game and see what happens when we got to each corner, right, of the, of the auditorium, and what did we get? We got a hot mess, right? None of the messages looked like they started, partially because the person who originally conveyed it conveyed it wrong, right? That would be me. Yep, I did it. See? So I started wrong, and then it went crazy from there. And we were talking about how the, the people of God in Galatia, whose Paul is talking to as we're doing this study, the study of the book of Galatians, is that they, over time, had changed the message slowly and had lost grace in the message. Just subtle changes, subtle differences that had caused them to lose sight of the grace that they had been given. And then in week two, we talked about the redeeming nature of grace and the notion that, you know, Paul is calling the people of Galatia and us to live a life that is truly redeemed and truly different. And sometimes we really have difficulty letting go of that, of our previous life. We have difficulty um, accepting truthfully that God has made us a new creation. And that even if other people in our previous life have expectations of us to be something ungodly, God has empowered us to be something more, and we should not live down to their expectations, but up to the Lord's, because He has given us the power and the grace and the Spirit to be something anew, right? Amen. Amen. Then last week, we talked about the extending grace. Uh, the people in the, of the early church really struggled with the notion of who was the grace of the cross for? Was it just for the Jews, just for the people of God from before the time of Jesus, or was it for the entire world? And we talked about understanding that though there are differences in the way the Spirit functions among us, we have to be not just cognizant of being tolerant of other expressions and other ways of worshiping the Lord and growing in the Lord, but understanding that God may be gifting somebody to work in a different context or a different place, and that is a true, true blessing. And we need to encourage it and strengthen it and empower it and help others grow in their connection to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and to God himself. Yes? Okay. All right. Are we all caught up now? All right. I say all that because this week we are doing Grace Surpassing. And we're going to study Galatians 3 and 4. We're going to spend most of the time in Galatians, in fact, all the time today in Galatians 3. Um, but theologian Warren Wiersbe says that the 60 verses that make up Galatians 3 and 4 are some of the strongest writing Paul has ever penned. Strongest writing. Now, have you read the New Testament? Does Paul ever cut corners? Does he ever beat around the bush? Paul's pretty right? Straight to the point. There are, are many of us that um, love Jesus, and, and it's, it's a, but struggle with Paul sometimes, right? Because Jesus seems to speak of grace and love and acceptance on so many levels, and Paul tends to get in your face and say, no, you have expectations, you have standards. There are many Christians that prefer Paul to Jesus, and many Christians that prefer Jesus' teachings to Paul. Here's the problem. It's a both-and, not an either-or proposition, right? 
It's a both-and proposition, but sometimes meshing the two can be challenging. And Wearsby says these are his strongest words, okay? The Galatians have a problem. They have an identity crisis. It says no matter what they've seen, heard, and learned, they cannot seem to let go of the idea that their identity is based in Jewish ritual and tradition as much as the grace of Jesus Christ. And the key word there is as much as. Those are the key words for us to understand. Because Jewish ritual, tradition, and law help define who they were for hundreds or if not thousands of years, right? It, It helps them understand that they are separate, they are different from those who do not know the Lord. They are God's people. And that's important for us to get because tradition... And, and ritual and, and law, those things help define our identity, right? We, we, we count ourselves as brethren, the Brethren Church. If you've not read much of the Brethren Church, the Brethren Church was born out of 130 years of war, a time of war and fighting and, 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 and a desire by a few people, just a few I think there were eight at that first meeting, if I remember correctly, just a few people who came together and said, you know, the church needs to be something different and something more in this time. It's become too much about ritual and too much about tradition and not enough about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they sought to get back to the basics of what the Scripture teaches and what it, what it, what it intends for us and what it desires for us. It, and, but over time, it's really easy to forget that, that your tradition may, be trying to re- may have been started in an attempt to release you from certain laws or certain rituals or certain traditions to get back to Jesus, but then over time returning to its own new set of traditions or rules or expectations that were never intended when the movement began. Does that make sense? So Paul is all over the Israel or the, the Jews right now in Galatia. He's all over their unwillingness to let go. And you can put her up if you want. Um, how many of you started singing the song in your head? Let it go. You're welcome. All right. So this is really Paul's message to the Galatians. In this chapter, it's let it go. Let go of what you have always held your identity on so that you can take up the new identity that Christ is calling you to. And for the Jews, that meant remembering that law and ritual and tradition had a place, but its place was not equal to, the, to where God was calling them to in Jesus Christ. It's a very different call. And they really tried very hard at the crux of it to mix the two, to make them equal in so many ways, to say, you know, we still have to follow all the laws. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. You're not allowed to eat bacon. That's a law that I'm really glad we no longer follow, right? I mean, are you glad we're no longer following that? Yes, see, except for my son. Christopher hates bacon. I don't know. He needs counseling in the Holy Spirit. I don't know. <laughs> but it's one of those things that, that, that the Israelites really could not get past. They could not get past the idea that you could follow the Lord through Jesus Christ 
and yet set aside almost every tradition or law. At least set it aside in its, the way it was performed historically. It's a, it's a challenge for them. And the truth is, the message for us today is it's also a challenge for us. It is very much a challenge for us to divorce ourselves from our culture, from our background, from our upbringing, from our expectations. Um, you know, we've talked about it a couple times over the years. I, we were part of a different tribe of believers before we got here. Um, and can I just tell you, their hymnals have about 80% different songs in them than the hymnals here. And people go, are you serious? Aren't these the only songs? <laughs> no, <laughs> they're not the only songs. And it was really hard when we first got here for me to listen to the music and just go, uh, uh, this makes, I don't get this, this doesn't, no, no. I mean, I was, I was praying for 728B, which Heather knows that, what that is, and so does my wife. It's a, it's a song called, um, There is a God, He is Alive, that we would have called the Church of Christ theme song because every church played it, every church knew it, right? Every one of those churches knew it. But this was a very different experience coming here. And in some ways, Heather and I had to learn to let go of the traditions that we had lived in before so that we could be called into the new tradition that God was calling us to. Does that make sense? Now, does that mean I don't still know how to remember those songs? I could sing 728B from heart, by heart. I could totally do it. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. But I could sing it by heart. But that doesn't mean that I'm not embracing or living into the new songs that I've, that I've been asked to learn and to hear. Even today, right? We learned new songs today. And at first, like anything new, was it really awkward? It was awkward for Nancy when she goes, I don't know this song, y'all gonna have to help, right? It's awkward. It's awkward to learn a new thing. We're, we feel very uneasy about it. We also feel like we don't want to let go of what once was to go into what's new. But sometimes, you know, if you want to fly, your feet eventually have to leave the ground, right? Or you're never going to take off. And that is the problem that the people of Galatia had. So let's get into uh, Paul's three arguments Paul's three arguments for why they should let go of their old identity because it is keeping them from their new one. It is keeping them from their new one, this thing that they're holding on to so dearly. The first is the personal argument. It's, it's Galatians 3, 1 through 5. It says, you foolish Galatians. That's a great way to start that, right? You foolish Galatians. If I walked up to you and said, you idiots, what would you do? See, there you go. I appreciate the honest answer. I would smack you. I appreciate that. And yet, Paul does that. He says, you foolish Galatians, what, who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? There he is again. Wow. After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing? In fact, if it was for nothing. So then, then does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you or by doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing that you heard? In 2015, at the Super Bowl, 
I'm a Seahawks fan, by the way, just for whatever that's worth. Wow, that's, didn't expect that. I'm a Seahawks fan, which means I've spent decades, literally decades, watching them be the bottom of the barrel, not winning anything, right? And then in this most recent set of years, they've, they've been pretty solid, which is great for me. But in the 2015 Super Bowl, they were driving at the goal line near the end of the game. They had an all-pro running back named Marshawn Lynch, who had carried for hundreds of Hundreds of thousands of yards, thousands of yards that year. And he was their go-to. They're driving. They get to the goal line. It's like third and goal. And they decide not to go to him. They decide to throw the ball instead. And guess what happens? He gets picked off, and they lose the game by four points. Why do I bring up that story? They had all season, all season, depended upon Marshawn Lynch to carry them. He had in many ways got them that far. Now, you could argue it's a team sport. It totally is. Totally is. But he had gotten them that far. But when push came to shove, they went a different direction. They did not rely on the strength that had got them there. Instead, they decided they could outthink everybody around them. And guess how it worked out? Patriots won again. That's how it worked out. Paul is, is pretty blunt with here. He says, after beginning by the Spirit, so after you were carried into life with the Lord, right? After He carried you, after He provided for you, after He offered you His Spirit, after you saw His works, after you saw all the miracles and the things that He'd done and noticed what He, he has done for you, still when push comes to shove, you decide that your plan is still better, that you're going to lean on something else instead of leaning on him. He got you here. It started with him. He carried you here, and yet you're going to try to finish this off with your own understanding and your own strength and your own devices. says, you know, Paul is, is getting, really getting in their face because what they're doing is trying to redefine what saving grace looks like. What they're trying to do is to say it's not just Jesus. It's not just knowing him and knowing his power. It's saying it's Jesus and oh Jesus, by the way, now that you've gotten me this far, I can take it from here. Do we do that? Do we say, thanks, Jesus, I really appreciate your love. Thanks for digging me out of this ditch. Thanks for, thanks for saving me from myself. Thanks for solving my problem. And it's really nice to know you. I'll catch up with you later when I need you for something, right? And I can take it from here. Is there, that, talk about taking the saving grace of Jesus Christ and choosing to deny it and chuck it back out the window. Because that's what they're doing. They're saying, hey, you got us here, great. But I can take it from here. Are there times in your life when you say, I can take it from here? What about that time when you were always in the scriptures, when you first came to know the Lord, you were studying it and learning it and sitting with people and praying together and, yes, showing up for church and, yes, doing all of those things. But over time, what happens? You say, I've read enough. I kind of get it now right? I know the basics. 
I've been to church a few times. I think I know what that's all about. I'll be okay. I understand how to pray. I know what to do when I really need something from him. I can probably put that aside too, and I'll just come back to it when I really need it. I've said this before. Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. Okay? He's not a genie in a bottle who's there for your beckoning. He's there to build a relationship with you, to guide you, to grow you, to strengthen you. But any of you who are in a relationship, do relationships work if you don't talk to each other for months or years at a time and then suddenly expect it to be all legit when you come back together? It doesn't work. Why do we do that with Jesus? Why do we do that with Jesus? We ask that what the Galatians are doing, and I think what we're in danger of doing sometimes is saying, Jesus, I can take it from here despite what we've seen. Have you not seen God do miraculous things in your life and in the lives of people around you? And so have they. They have been witness to to people being healed. They have heard the stories and seen the things. They've, they've, They've been around at a time when the church was having its greatest growth, right? When it went from literally a dozen people to thousands, right? It's exploding. They're watching salvations and miracles and incredible things happen all around them. They've seen it. They watched it themselves. But the further away they get from it, the further away they get from that moment, the more likely they are to say, that was really good work, Jesus. I can take it from here. You know, God desires to continue to do those miracles in your life. And in the lives of people around us, the question is, are we, are, we, are we sticking with him and letting him do those things? Or are we saying, Jesus, I've got it. Thanks. The next argument is the scriptural argument. Because remember, these are Jewish people. These are the people of God. They have for centuries known him, been exclusively his people. And so they value the Old Testament, they value the text, they value the Bible, as I guess is what we would say now, right? We value the Bible and, and its worth and what it means and what it says, and they value the characters and the people of the Bible. They are often called the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is who they follow, right? And so Paul says, okay, you love Scripture, you love the Bible, you love the Lord, let's dig into this a little bit. It says this, it says, just like Abraham, who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness... You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel of ahead of time to Abraham, saying all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now, it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous live by faith. But the law is not based in faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. 
The Jews are the children of Abraham. He is revered among them. Um, do you think when God said to him, all the nations will be blessed through you, do you think Abraham had any idea what that was going to look like? I'm going to guess no, because he lived in one little small part of the world, and as far as he knew, that was the world. That was everything. And yet here we are sitting in a church, how many years later? Thousands of years later, on the other side of the planet, remembering those words and those texts and saying that we too are heirs as children of Abraham. Because Paul says that very clearly, those who are, live by faith and walk with the Lord are heirs of Abraham. He had no idea what it was going to look like. He was a man who lived completely by faith. If you don't, don't know his story, he was asked in his old age to leave his family behind, to completely uproot leave his parents, leave his homeland, leave everything and go do work for God. I don't know about you, but as I get older, I less and less want to get up and go completely uproot my life and move, even though I did it a couple years ago. <laughs> and yet, he did that, not knowing what he was going to see, not knowing what he was going to find, only knowing what? God was calling him to it, right? God said, do it. That was enough for him. God said, do it. That is what living by faith is. God said, do it. And Paul is saying, you claim to be children of Abraham. You claim to live by faith as Abraham did, and yet your life looks nothing like Abraham's did. Abraham was a man who lived by faith, and that made him righteous, not following the right ritual, not following the right law, because as we'll get into in a second, did you know that Abraham's promise predates the law by 430 years? He operated without any of those things. He operated based on the promise of God and did what God asked him to do, whatever that might be in whatever season of life he was in. But, and that was his identity. That was who he was. That was who he was expected to be. And yet, these children of Abraham are not willing to do that. They still want to hold on. They want to hold on to the law as their defining characteristic, as part of their identity, making it equal to the call that God has on their life. But Paul's trying to tell them it's not equal. And you should be careful what you wish for. Because in verse 10, it says, for all who rely on the works of the law. So if this is your litmus test, if this is what you're going to choose to be your deciding factor is whether or not you're following the Lord, you are under a curse. Because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. In St. Paul, we, uh, there was this gentleman who lived, um, I have to remember the name of the road, but it was a, a super busy road in, in St. Paul, and he lived on the street. And he'd been living on the street for 35, 40 years in the same place. And on two separate occasions, people had gotten him, Rice Avenue, is that what it was? Thank you, I appreciate it. On two separate occasions, people had gotten him brand new apartments. They'd furnished it, 
told him he could live there rent-free, get started in a new life, find something new, and he would go and do it for a while, and then he would leave and go back to living on the street. Choosing. Choosing to live on the street. Can I just tell you, choosing to live on the street in St. Paul, Minnesota, in the middle of winter... I would, I, I would never do that <laughs> um, because it gets to minus 40 on, a, on the regular. It's a normal thing. But he chose that. He chose to return to what he knew rather than moving into this brand new, fully furnished, rent-free apartment and, and starting a new life. How often do we choose to stick with what we know because we're comfortable in it, rather than moving forward to what God has planned for us in a new life. As that's what the people of God were doing in Galatia. They were leaning back on what they already knew, ironically leaning on something that the father of the Jewish faith, Abraham, wasn't leaning on to begin with. Interesting, right? They were saying, we're being his children. We're leaning on the thing that he was leaning on. And Paul's saying, but that didn't exist. (laughs) You're leaning on something that you're attributing to Abraham that has nothing to do with Abraham. Do we lean on things that we are attributing to, to the Lord that have nothing to do with the Lord? Or are we making them, in this case, equal to what the call of the Lord is upon our lives? If I stomped my feet and said, look, I'm not coming to this church unless you play 728B, right? Then I am making a song equal to the call that God has on my life. Do I make whether or not I hear Amazing Grace, which is a beautiful song, on a a regular basis equal to living in that Amazing Grace? Does that make sense? Because some of us get upset when we don't hear the song we want to hear. Understand, traditions have value. They help you understand who you are and where you've come from and how you've gotten here. The law had value, but it is not equal in value to the call that Christ has on your life. And we are really bad, just like the Galatians were, at confusing those two things because they are near and dear to our hearts and we have a lot of difficulty separating what's more important and what really is of lesser importance. The reality is that's a desire to be in control of our own experience. We want to know what to expect, how to expect it, and that we will feel good about it when it's done. Uh, The Judaizers, in this case in Galatia, preferred control over their life rather than the life Christ was calling them to. Do we do the same? Is what I have written. And third, we get into the logical argument. Because if he says, you know, look, we could talk about your personal experiences. Let's talk about what the Scripture says. Let's just get down to brass tacks. Let's talk about logic. And he jumps right in and he says, my point is this. The law, which came 430 years later, that would be 
after Abraham, right, does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God and thus cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise, but God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. Who is the seed? Right. So, so, so the law was given, and we'll get into the next sentence. We'll get into the next section in a second. The law was given basically as a band-aid to tide over, right, until the fulfillment of God's Son coming, the seed, fulfilled the law, right, surpassed the law, right? I think that does a great job for helping me understand the role of law and the role of tradition and the role of ritual and the role of those things, right? It's a means to an end, okay? It's intended to help us stay on track, to help us recognize our sin because that is the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was not to cure you of your sins. It was to help you recognize your sin. Our rituals help us recognize who we are. But if they get in the way of the fulfillment of God's grace and the surpassing love of Jesus Christ, they're a problem. They're a problem. No matter how dear they might be to us, no matter how important they might be to us, when we make them equal to the grace of Jesus Christ, we've lost sight of what he's calling us to. So he says, it's, yeah, the law is a thing. It's real. It has a job. It has a purpose. It has meaning. But don't mistake it for grace. Don't mistake it for the love of Jesus Christ. Don't mistake it for being of the same value. Please, don't do that. So he goes on in verse 25, it says, But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. That's what the law was. It was a guardian. For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Law was temporary. Ritual is temporary. Temporary means, doesn't may not necessarily mean a week or a month, a year. Temporary may mean a couple of lifetimes. But eventually, it will fade or it will change. But what will not change? Grace will not change. Love will not change. The salvation that comes through Jesus Christ and being one of his heirs and his seeds, that's a permanent adoption, people. Okay? That is a permanent adoption into the family of God. That is where our focus lies, knowing who we are in him. 
not knowing who we are in a certain tradition or a certain ritual. And I say that because I've had the opportunity to work with a number of churches in my past with a group that just helped churches who were in trouble. And you could watch these churches in trouble and you could say, oh my goodness, they're fighting. There's a church split over the color of the carpet. There's a church split because they added a guitar. There's a church split because they put up projectors, which by the way, we're putting up two new ones, right? Here next week. Brand new ones that uh, are digital. So we should be able to see a whole lot better because that is 44 point font. That's enormous. I would love for you to get more on one slide and if you could read it, we could do that, right? But right now it's a little blurry and a little faded which is why I find people in the back staring at the one in the back on the wall because they can see it better. We're trying to fix that problem. But I've seen churches implode, and I I don't want to give you an impression. I don't want to say I think we're there. We're not, okay? But I, I want us to understand that we can make all kinds of things holy that have nothing to do with it, that are temporary, The building that we worship in is lovely and wonderful, but it is a tool and it is temporary. It will probably not be here in 200 years. Did you say or 20? (laughs) Or 20. I'm like, really? I wasn't aware of that. That's not what I'm expecting, but it probably won't be. It probably won't be. And if there happens to be, by the grace of God, a church on this site... I bet you the buildings are all gone and it's all different, right? But we have a lot of trouble seeing past that. We have have a lot of trouble recognizing that our life is temporary. Our traditions are temporary. Our rituals are temporary. But what is eternal is the love, grace, mercy, and salvation of Jesus Christ. And that is what we need to be aimed at. And that is what we need to point other people to. And can I just tell you how freeing that is? It is so freeing to know that the person I've got to report to is him. That I can see the beauty in different traditions and different rituals and different expressions because I'm not beholden to the idea that mine is the right one that has always been and always will be. Mine is the call that God is living, calling us to right now, and that is a beautiful thing. Just like God is calling Reggie and his people, who we were discussing this morning, to a different expression. Equally as powerful, equally as wonderful, equally as blessed, but doesn't look a whole lot like us, other than the fact that they also sit in pews. Right? God is calling all of us to a grander life in Him. But we need to be willing to let go of the things that are temporary in order to grasp the thing that is eternal, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So, as we finish our service, we finish the same time every week. We finish with a time of prayer. So, if you all stand up, if your legs are tired, if you're finally thankful that I'm done talking. Please stand up. We finish with a time of prayer and music. We're going to listen to some music as we talk through some prayer requests that were brought forward before church today. And then I will ask others, as you see a mass exodus, I don't think it's because they're mad at me. I think it's because the McPhersons all have some place
place to be. And we all know that's a third of our church, right? Right. Okay. So I'm impressed they stayed this long. Actually, I was warned ahead of time. All right. So um, a couple things. Uh, Barb Culp was asked for prayers for Jerry uh, because he, though his heart is now in rhythm, right? We think, we believe. Is he acting like it's in rhythm? That's my job. So if he's being cantankerous and difficult, it's it's in rhythm. See, his heart is in rhythm. We know that. Okay. He's he's being Jerry. Uh, But I would also like to ask for prayers for Barb's mom. She continues to get weaker and weaker. Um, She's a lovely woman of God who knows the Lord and has an incredible sense of humor, but she is tired. Jan, on that same row, Jan has asked for prayers for her husband, Tim. On November 4th, he has surgery, right? He has prostate surgery, okay? So we need to pray for the doctors to be, to get it all. How about that? To get everything. Well, we're going to pray for the robot to get it all. Interesting. All right. It's all right. We can pray for it to all work out, right? Because our God can do amazing things even through robots, right? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Holly would like to ask for prayers for the troops. We need them home. Thursa, huh? Safe and sound. Oh, I don't want to forget that. Safe and sound. Thursa Porter has asked for prayers for her son, Gregory. He's uh, got weight loss surgery tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, he won't be saying that later. So please, please, he's excited about it. He's, I, he will not tell you this. He's also a nervous wreck. And so is his mama. So please pray for them as he has surgery tomorrow. Diana's asked for prayers for Bud Jackson. He has gallbladder surgery on Thursday. Yes? Yeah? They had a gallbladder on sale? 
That's good to know. It's not an auction, is it? Auctioning off parts. All right, so that's all I have on my list. Is there anybody else? Any other prayers? Anything else you want to bring forward? Who's, who's raising hands? Kelly with her, her heel is still a mess. Okay. Okay, so prayers for her foot, right? By the way, foot people? No more foot people. In case you don't know, we've got how many injured foot people? Diana, Marilyn, Heather, Bonnie. Who else? Who else we got? You got a bet? Well, you lost your foot. It's Bud. No more feet, people. We need them to walk, right? Okay. Yes. Yep. Yep. Awesome. to connect with the Lord, right? That's all we need to know because God knows the rest, right? That's all we need to know. Anybody else? Any more? Yes. Hold on. Let's get him. I'll be right there. Your family's probably blessed that you can hear everything too, right? Yes. Yeah, cancer-free. That's right. Amen. Praise God. He is all the time. Yes, he does. He takes care of business. All right. Anything else? All right. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for your presence in our lives. We are thankful for the grace, the eternal grace that you provide for us through your son, Jesus Christ. We are thankful that you are able to, that we are able to be together to worship you, to glorify you, to strengthen one another. Not everybody gets to do that and we have to be mindful of that. Lord, as we go through our week, I, I pray that uh, you will keep these thoughts on our, on our hearts, that uh, we will be reminded to stop and pray because we know that prayer is important. It matters, it makes a difference. It is music to your ears. It is a, a sweet smell for you. You can thank you for giving us that way to connect with you, to communicate with you. Lord, we pray as we go through this week that you will give us strength. You will help us to be filled with your mercy and grace. That you will help us to remember that we are truly redeemed in you. That you desire to see others be redeemed in you that you are the eternal thing that we should all chase 
and point others to. Lord, I pray that you will keep all of us safe as we travel, that you will help Kelly as she goes to her foot specialist. We know she's been struggling with this for some time. We pray for those who are having surgery this week, for Gregory and for Bud. We pray for those who are traveling, who are unable to be here today, that you will bring them back to us soon. Lord, we thank you for your strength. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for coming.